better safe than sorry, always be closing. Clichés are clichés because they are true. Now you can add a new cliché to your list. Only fools miss an episode of Parsha Podcast, the podcast for the spiritually curious. Now let's learn some deep Torah. Here's your host, Rabbi Goldman. Hi, everybody. It's been a very long time. I'm sorry, but I'm happy to be back with at least a short lesson on Lagba Omer. So tonight, tomorrow, Thursday night and Friday, is the holiday of Lagba Omer, the 33rd day of the counting of the Omer, the period between Pesach and Shavuot. And it marks two important events in Jewish history. Lagba Omer is both the period, the day, during which the uh, plague that had been affecting the students of Rabbi Akiva, one of the greatest teachers of Judaism, um, lost almost all of his 24,000 students in a plague because the plague came as a result of the students of Rabbi Akiva not conducting themselves with the proper respect towards each other. And on this day, Lagbomer, the plague stopped. That's one reason we celebrate. Another reason is because it is the date on which Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who was actually one of Rabbi Akiva's primary students, survived. Um, it, on this date, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai passed away, and he specifically requested that this day should not be a day of mourning and sadness, but a day of celebration. And on the day he passed, just before, uh, just before he actually passed away, he spent some time teaching the deepest, deepest secrets of the Torah, what's known as the teachings of Kabbalah, the soul of the Torah. Um, and his teachings were compiled in the book of the Zohar, which remains until today the primary, number one book of the Jewish mystical tradition of Kabbalah. And it is that that we're celebrating today. So the actual study of Kabbalah is shrouded in mystery, um, culturally and even directly, if you try to open a book of Kabbalah and make sense of it, more often than not, you will not be able to understand. One of the reasons for that is that Kabbalah was intentionally written in obscure, obtuse terminology, um, using lots of metaphor and shorthand language, in order so that nobody could study it directly without the aid of a qualified teacher, which would make sure, in turn, that you're studying and interpreting these delicate, subtle ideas in the proper way and not taking them in directions that they were never intended to go, which unfortunately we've seen happen with um, well-intentioned or even ill-intentioned um, misapplied study of the Kabbalah. And over time, the teachings of Kabbalah were distilled further and further throughout the generations. And when the Hasidic movement began roughly 300 years ago, the teachings of the Hasidic Rebbes relied heavily on the Kabbalistic tradition. And in various Hasidic groups, um, more light was shed on them particularly in Chabad, where the teachings of Kabbalah from the Zohar, from the Arizal, who came later, 
um, were really one of the foundations upon which the entire structure of Chabad theology and philosophy stands. And so when a person studies Chabad philosophy, also known as Hasidus, they're getting the Kabbalistic ideas, along with, and certainly in the Chabad tradition, an explanation um, with you know, reasonable understanding and an explanation that can be grasped and understood by the human intellect. And so, in honor of this day, celebration of the soul of the Torah, the inner dimension of the Torah, the passing of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his legacy, I wanted to share just a couple of quick ideas and thoughts on the imperative, the need of why a person should dedicate time to study Hasidus, to study this body of Torah, Torah study, um, the department, if you will, of Torah known as Hasidus and Kabbalah. So, number one, this is a point that the Rebbe makes in a letter, um, in, in multiple letters. I'm reading off of one letter that was written um, in, uh, in 1959, uh, 58 rather, and the Rebbe says there are a couple of reasons of why you should learn Hasidus. One of them is just from recent history. If you look at the Jewish community in Soviet Russia under communist rule, take a look and see um, which communities, which sections of the Jewish community um, were demoralized and discouraged from continuing practice of Judaism, and in which did not. And it became clear that of the various classes and types of Russian Jews, those, only those, who had learned in Chabad Yeshivot and brought up in Hasidic homes, studying Hasidus and applying and living with the principles of Hasidus in that way of life, were able to survive the terrible trials and difficulties, and remain faithful and practicing Jews. And not only themselves, but also the next generation, they inspired their children to go in the same way, at the risk of their lives. And so, even the most skeptical person can look at that empirical experiment and say, well, if it's true that Chabad was able to keep Judaism alive for 70 years of communism underground, there's there's got to be something there. It, it's not just, you know, by accident... Um, there's a method to the madness, and even if you're the most skeptical person, you have to admit that there's a power to this study of Hasidus and this, this way of life of Hasidus that allows the preservation of Yiddishkeit no matter what's going on around you. And then there's also another imperative, another reason why we need to study Hasidus, and that is because we have a number of mitzvahs in the Torah that are constant, in other words, some mitzvahs come along every now and then, and you do it when it's time to do the mitzvah. For example, when it's Rosh Hashanah, we have a mitzvah to blow the shofar, and to hear the shofar. And as soon as Rosh Hashanah comes along, we do that. But when Rosh Hashanah is gone, there's no value in blowing the shofar anymore. It's, it's, it's limited to that time. Um, keeping Shabbos is a mitzvah once a week on Shabbos, but there's no value in avoiding work and not driving your car on Tuesday afternoon. There's no religious value in that. But there are mitzvahs which are incumbent upon us constantly. And they are there are six mitzvahs like that. They are to believe in Hashem, 
not to believe in any other God, to affirm the oneness of Hashem, to love Hashem, to fear Hashem, and not to go astray after the temptation of the heart and the vision of the eyes, if we read at the end of the Shema. And to do these mitzvahs, to observe these mitzvahs, you have to have some basic knowledge of who and what God is, how does a person come to develop a relationship and emotions with God. Um, Clearly, a child's um, belief in God is inadequate for an adult. A childish caricature is not going to cut the mustard for an adult relationship. Um, And how we understand that God is one, despite the fact that the world has been created, there's a lot of important concepts that need to be understood in order to fulfill these mitzvahs. And so um, you have to spend time studying the departments of Torah that speak about this, and those areas of Torah are the areas of Kabbalah and Hasidus. And so for a number of reasons, um, these are only two of them, we need to study Hasidus, we need to delve into these ideas. Um, The book of Tanya is a classic which discusses many of these ideas. Um, could, could be a lifetime of study, but it's a classic and a fundamental treatise, a fundamental work. Um, from a little bit of a different angle, I would also recommend the book called Likute Diburim. Likute Diburim is a collection of talks and uh, diary entries from the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, and it is less academic, even though the ideas that are being uh, the ideas that are raised are are still the very um, significant and um, serious ideas of Hasidus, but the context and the presentation is more of a narrative. And many many times there is are there are stories from the author's memories, um, recollections of of uh, his youth and things that he heard that are interspersed with the ideas. So it's in a way a little bit of an easier read but still gives you a sense and a taste of the, the, uh, the vibe of Hasidus, the, uh, the worldview of a Hasid, one who studies Hasidus. Um, I'll also add that you know, we all need a little bit more depth to get through life, especially when um, we're living in such a challenging time. We, we need to have something much deeper than the current physical reality to to give us strength, to anchor us, to to give us something to fall back on. Studying Hasidus, because it's very often so abstract and so removed from you know your daily concerns, it's precisely why it's helpful and, and valuable and necessary in your development, in your ongoing development as an individual, as a Jew, as a spiritual being. Um, and, and last but not least, a point that the Rebbe made very often is that the Torah that we will study and, and, and learn when Mashiach comes is the Torah that's the, the inner dimension of the Torah, the soul of the Torah. Everything has a soul and a body. Not only human beings, not only animals. Everything in the world has a soul and a body, a superficial aspect and an inner aspect. And the Torah also has the more superficial aspect, which is the laws, the do's and the don'ts. Superficial doesn't mean trivial, it just means external, um, practical. Um, That's what I mean, at least, when I say superficial. It's the practical side, the technical side, and the Torah has the practical, technical side. Do this, don't do that, and so on and so forth. 
But there's also the soul of the Torah, the spirituality of the Torah. And, and un- unfortunately and tragically, so many Jews are only ever exposed to the body of the Torah, the practice, do this, don't do that, the technical side of things, the customs and the traditions. And they're left to go looking for wisdom and, and depth in Buddhism and who knows what else. And really there's so much depth and wisdom, more than anywhere else, available in our own backyard. And Hasidus is the place to find it. And so I really want to encourage everyone to take some time during your week to study some Hasidus. One of the easiest ways of doing that is going to Chabad.org and going into the um, learning section. And there will be uh, lots and lots of material there. Um, thank God today there are many teachers, very high, highly qualified, engaging, intelligent teachers of Hasidus um, that put out lots of content on YouTube, on their own websites. Rabbi Manus Friedman is one. Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson is another. Rabbi Yossi Paltiel is another. And many, many more. You can Google them and uh, try them out. Um, I teach Hasidus too, every now and then, you know. But um, these teachers will have dedicated feeds and, and constant streams of new content and old content. And really it's, a, as the verse in Tehillim goes, Tamu ru'u Hashem. Taste and you will see that Hashem is good. It's not just out of obligation. We can relate to Hashem with a sense of wonder and awe and joy. And Hasidus nurtures all of that. And so, L'chaim to everybody. Lag Sameach, may we all be blessed to take some inspiration from Lag Ba'omer to develop our own capacity for soul, for the study of the soul of the Torah, and for living more soulfully from a perspective of the soul and dominating our soul over our body and integrating our soul with our body in the most holistic, healthy way. L'chaim. Let me just add, I want to end off with a story. There was once a fellow who did not grow up studying Hasidus or being part of the Hasidic community, and later in life came to appreciate this path and began to study Hasidus and associate himself with the Hasidic community, with the Chabad community. This is many years ago, back in Russia. And one of his friends asked him, tell me, what is the difference between the period in your life before you studied Hasidus and the period in life after you began to study Hasidus and apply it and live by it. So the man told him, you know, the answer is the same. It's just the question that has changed. So oh, that's interesting. What do you mean? So he said, well, before I studied Hasidus, I was very proud of myself. After all, I was a Torah scholar. I performed mitzvahs with great zeal. Um, I gave charity. I worked on my personality traits and I was very proud of who I'd become and I was a very fine Jew. And I, my only question was, well, how is it that uh, God is going to be able to sufficiently reward me in the hereafter for all the good that I've done in this world? And my answer was, well, God, being omnipotent, capable of anything, he can provide reward for even someone as great as me. My answer was, God is a, in Hebrew they say, a kol yachal. He can do anything. Right? Now that I've studied Hasidus, and Hasidus teaches you to place yourself in the context of God, 
my question has changed. No longer is it, how can God sufficiently reward me? It's, how will God be able to tolerate me? How does He have the patience for me, given all my shortcomings, all my mistakes, and my inadequacies? How does He even bear with me? And my answer is the same answer. Being that He's omnipotent, He's a kol yachal, He can do anything, He's God. So of course He can deal with me, He has patience for me, and He loves me, despite my shortcomings and mistakes. This is a, a, one example of the gift of perspective that Hasidus can grant to a person. May we all be blessed to absorb that perspective ourselves and share it with those around us. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate that you've taken the time to join us on the Parsha podcast. I'd like to ask you to reflect on whatever we, we just discussed in the Parsha podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts. What are some other lessons and takeaways that you can take from the topics we discussed? Please send me your feedback. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly at rmg at jewishwaterloo.com. Any and all feedback, constructive criticism, compliments, and so on are really appreciated. Thank you so much.